Hello and welcome to the Film Pulse Podcast, the official podcast of FilmPulse.net. This is episode number 124. My name is Adam Patterson. With me today, we have Kevin Rakestraw. How are you doing, Kevin? I'm doing pretty damn good. Pretty damn good? Yeah. Uh, how was your 4th of July weekend? It was awesome. That's good. I did was... so many American things. I ate at a chain restaurant. Oh. I saw fireworks. It's good time. I ate at the Olive Garden last night. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to hear that. Yeah. That's uh, awful. Yeah. Oh, they like rebranded. Like they have a new logo. It doesn't and... matter. It doesn't matter. No, I mean the it's, food's the same. It doesn't sure. matter. Yeah. It's a poor excuse for Italian food. Yeah, I agree. Uh, this week we'll be counting down our top 10 movies this year so far, and we'll also be getting into two feature reviews. This week we'll be talking about Nathan Silver's Uncertain Terms and the Roger Ebert documentary Life Itself. And finally we'll be going over this week's movie predictions, new on video on demand, and DVD employee releases. First up, let's talk about some of what we've been watching. I had a pretty light week again, just because of uh, the World Cup. World Cup? Yeah, soon soon I'm going to not be able to use that as, as an excuse. I'm going to use it for the next three years. <laughs> had a pretty light week, uh, you know. <laughs> World Cup. World Cup. Kevin, that was, uh, this is October. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just re- re-watching all the matches. Just re-watching them over and over? Yep. Why not? I started the week off with Cabin Fever Patient Zero. Oh, good lord. Yeah, we had to review this, so I... Uh, Did we? Did we? I took the bullet. Did, did we have to review it? Gave this a watch. This is starring Sean Astin, Rudy. Okay. Rudy's in this. That's that's unfortunate. Yeah, basically it takes place before the events of the first Cabin, Zero, cabin Fever, Cabin Zero. <laughs> <laughs> it's It's pretty bad. Really? I don't have a lot to say about it. There is some decent practical effects in this. I mean, it is over-the-top gory, just like all the other cabin fevers. It is better than the second one, the Ty West-directed one. Okay. I wouldn't say far better, but it's significantly better than the second one. It's still pretty typical, though. The odd thing is that... The people that get infected in this movie, they act more like zombies than in the other ones, which I didn't like at all. That, that was kind of the interesting thing about the first Cabin Fever was that it wasn't like there was a killer that was coming after them. There wasn't like the infection turns them into zombies. It was just that it was a horrible, horrifying infection that kills you. You know, it was like outbreak, but yeah. done in a much more horrifying way. And that was kind of the interesting thing about the first Cabin Fever. But this one, they definitely act more like zombies and didn't really like that too much. Basically, Sean Astin plays Patient Zero. He's the carrier of the virus, but he's also immune to it. And he, they have him locked up and they're testing, doing testing on him on this island. And a group of douchey 20-somethings... All right. Go to the island for a bachelor weekend. Of course. Because the one, the one guy's getting married, so they naturally, what are we going to do for your bachelor party? Uh, We're going to go to a deserted island. Who wouldn't? Where there's no cell phone reception at all. Wow. And, of course, they get infected once they get to the island, and they start dying. Wow. You, I don't know if you could sound 
more disinterested. Yeah, it was pretty generic. Like I said, there was some very cool gore effects. It was very gross and lots of bodily fluids and they vomit blood everywhere and their skin falls off and so there there was a lot of cool practical effects. There was some CG. There was there was a particularly ridiculous scene where somebody that was infected attempted to shoot one of the kids and he, he raised his gun and he shot the gun but the the uh recoil from the gun caused his hand to rip off yes <laughs> and it caused the gun the barrel of the gun to impale him in the head and kill him nice yeah so that was ridiculous it's not a very serious movie. There's a lot of scenes like that where it's just kind of silly. Fun. Can't be fun. Yeah. yeah. I would call it can't be fun. Can't be um, fun time. The facility where they're doing the testing on Sean Astin looks ridiculous. It was like underground in this cave. In my review, I said it looked like the bat cave. Because like all the walls were just rock. It just looks so stupid it's like why would this exist doesn't make any sense Mm. uh the other thing i wanted to mention was the end credits which were probably the best looking part of the entire movie it's all done in reverse so like during the end credits you kind of see how everything begins and they shoot it all in reverse and it looks awesome like that was by far the coolest thing about the entire movie the opening credits are all done in super slow motion. Those look pretty cool too, but the end credits that were all done in reverse looked excellent. So the best part about this movie is that was the end, end credits. <laughs> yep. End credits. Yep. Do you think that this movie suffers from a lack of writer strong, and that's the problem? Um. Well, I don't know. Like Sean Astin. He he puts up a actually I mean Sean Astin's a good actor I don't really know why he was in this because he's a good actor but then all the rest of them were pretty terrible yeah so eh I don't know it's uh not not recommended I don't recommend it this is playing on movies on demand on cable right now and it will be hitting iTunes in select cities on August first so you're telling- on letter on Letterbox I gave it a one and a half it's directed by uh, Kerr Andrews, the same guy that did Altitude, which was another really shitty horror movie. Fantastic. Sounds like good stuff. Yeah, I mean, if you're a big fan of the Cabin Fever series, all two of you out there... <laughs> Don't watch it still. <laughs> yeah. Still do not watch it. Yeah. I watched a Pasolini movie from 1966 called The Hawk and the Sparrows, which... Uh, this is a very interesting movie. And I'm really starting to like this Pasolini guy. And I'm still terrified of seeing Salo. But th- yeah. this movie, if you've seen Salo, this is the perfect movie to watch as sort of like to see the complete opposite mm-hmm. of what he does. Because this is like a ridiculous comedy full of slapstick and Keystone cop style chase sequences. Uh, features the legendary clown Toto. Also has a score from Ennio Mor- Morricone. Which the the movie opens up with Morricone's theme song, which is great. It's really catchy. And there's this like this singer who sings all the credits, all the opening credits, like who's in the movie, who does the 
production mm-hmm. design, everything. And he sings it in this like mocking operatic tone. It's just I've never seen anything like it before, but I liked it. I was like instantly like in the mood ready to go because it was just a fun movie. Plus there's a talking crow in it. Okay. Okay. Right. So you have a father and a son, father played by Toto and the son who were walking across around the Italian countryside and they happen upon a talking crow who just starts to follow him around, never shuts up. All he talks about is communism, religion, and like overpopulation and all this heavy shit. And they just sort of get sick and tired of him after a while. And the music's great. The camera work is really good. The way that they film the scenes with the talking crow are unbelievable. I, I'm not sure how Pasolini did it, but it looks great because he's just sort of like hopping along with them. Yeah, it's interesting. I was I was watching the trailer as you were describing it, and right when you said that, it shows the scene where they're walking and the crow's just bouncing along yeah, behind them. He's just he's following them everywhere. I I mean it, I'm imagining that it's probably you know he had like a leash on him, you know like a like a fishing line or something like that to sort of go around with him. But mm-hmm. whatever, it looks amazing. It's it's actually pretty funny. There's an entire sequence where the father and the son have to take a shit so they go into this guy's field and they both take a shit and the farmers come out and they're all pissed off and it turns into like a keystone cops style chase sequence with the people trying to shoot them for taking a shit in their in their field it looks like it was done in fast forward yeah there's a lot of the fast forwarding stuff it's just it's hard to believe that this guy ends up making salo and this is like based off of his own i think it's a i think it was a novel or a novella that he wrote Definitely worth checking out. Um, the only thing is, is the only American version I could find was put out by a company called Watermark Films, which is perhaps the worst DVD company ever. <laughs> it there's like there's giant chunks of this where there's no subtitles whatsoever. You know they're nice. just they're just you know rattling off line after line after line and no subtitles. So you're just sitting there like I don't know what the fuck is going on awesome and just they just it looks like they just ripped it from wherever they got it from whatever the source was and put absolutely no work into it whatsoever <laughs> they They're, downloaded it from like a torrent site yeah, they <laughs> downloaded just... it off BitTorrent, turned it onto a dvd and they just you know wiped their hands clean and they're like we did it so i would I would suggest if you can find a different copy of this, which I think there are some like UK versions, because I know that uh, Masters of Cinema have some Pasolini films out. I don't know if they have The Hawks and the Sparrows, but definitely try and look for it somewhere else, because the the US version is just absolute shit. Hmm. It really takes you out of it a little bit here and there. And I hate when, you know, the movie quality does that to you. Yeah, yeah. It's something that... Uh... Something that we have to deal with regularly with this, some of these screeners that we get. Yeah. Um, I saw a movie called Beneath. Oh, God. <laughs> I, I mean, it's pretty much the same as Cabin Fever Patient Zero, what I'm going to say. I thought you'd saw this one before. I thought we already talked about this. No, it's, it's another. There, there was another movie called Beneath that was directed by Larry Fassadon. Uh, okay, okay. And so this is that, different. That came out last year. This is a new Beneath directed by Ben Katai. Oh, Lord have mercy. It's a, it's a lot different. This is about a group of coal miners who get trapped after a mine collapse mm-hmm. 
<laughs> basically the air becomes what, what happens is they're they're digging and they uncover a tunnel that was used decades before by um, previous miners and it kind of unleashes they don't really directly say it but i think it's implied that it unleashes some sort of toxic gas that basically makes them go crazy and it's either that or the lack of oxygen they don't really say but they say that the previous miners that were trapped down there killed each other and the same thing happens here they start to go crazy they start hallucinating they start killing each other you know terror ensues <laughs> supposedly it's based on a true story but i have not looked into the I, true story behind this i have a feeling that the inspired by true events is just the array of mind collapses over the last couple of years right and that's that's, a, that's, that's exactly it. what it was funny because when i started watching this i i said to my girlfriend i was like oh i bet i bet this is just inspired by the fact that there have been a mind there have been mind collapses in the past that's it this is based on true events of other minds collapsing and nothing it's got else. A, it's got a cool poster i'll give it that and some of the some of the sequences in it are pretty suspenseful i mean we're not on like the descent levels of suspense but yeah there, there's a couple scenes, like there's one scene where a girl gets kind of trapped in between the rocks, and there's a, there's a really interesting scene where they, they find a, a blow-up shelter, and she, the girl uh, gets inside the blow-up shelter, and then one of the miners goes crazy and starts coming after her with a pickaxe, and like the you just hear the, the pickaxe like puncturing the, uh, the blow-up shelter, and that was an interesting sequence. Um, there's a lot of gore in it. Like some dude gets his arm ripped off and mm. somebody breaks their leg, of course, and then they show it and it's like the bones sticking out. It's the <laughs> so the, the effects work again is pretty good. It's not anything over the top crazy like in Cabin Fever Patient Zero. It's it's a much more realistic looking um looking effects work. So that's pretty good. But the, I, just, there's like a, I, I love these movies where you struggle. You struggle so hard to try and sell it. Because <laughs> there's just so little to say about them. You know, that's like what happens in this movie, I've seen it so many times before. It's just Yeah. It's and it's so forgettable too. Like it's, I saw this movie two days ago and I forget most of what happened in it because it was just so forgettable. Yeah. It's really not a terrible movie it's just that it doesn't do anything new yeah it's is it one of those things where you've just seen so many right that it it doesn't affect you in any way and i like i like these containment thrillers i've said that before um but this was just not very interesting i also the characters (laughs) were the characters were stupid i didn't like any of them uh the whole premise is that the the girl in it she's not a minor but she she's it? going she's going down there with her dad because it's her dad's retiring and it's his last day oh so my, she's yeah give me a break and i was like from the beginning i was like you can't just do that you can't just go down into a mine like that 
I mean, you probably got to go through like all kinds of training and you yeah, can't just be I, like, hey, dad, can I come down in the mine with you? Sure. Come on. It's your last go. day. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Your daughter can't go down. It's my last day. Come on. Cut me a break. All right. <laughs> all right. <laughs> you didn't have fun. I also enjoy the fact that on the IMDb page that there's also another horror movie called Beneath from 2007. <laughs> yeah, there's... It's ridiculous, the amounts of uh, Beneath movies. And apparently... Oh, this is the highest rated one. The one you're talking about now. Well, I, I haven't seen the one from 2007. I can say that it is better than the Larry Fassenden one. Okay. That was going to be my next question. Because that one is the lowest rated of the three. That one is terrible. That was a basically a made-for-TV movie. It premiered on the Chiller Network. Ooh. And it was just really, really stupid. I have a hard time with with horror movies that have really unlikable characters, especially when it involves a group of people that are getting killed one by one. You know, yeah. I just it's I have just, a really hard time. You just don't really care. If it's an '80s horror movie with unlikable characters, then I'm okay with it. Because it's for some reason that it's just more enjoyable. It's, it's, it's more fun to watch them. Because it's like unlikable characters in the eighties were just so much more fun than unlikable characters in the two thousands. Uh, that is true. It is true. So can't recommend Beneath. This is playing on demand right now. This is it's the same guy that did the Thirty Days of Night Dark Days, the sequel to okay. Thirty Days of Night, which was really bad. You're just watching nothing but terribleness. Yeah. Sounds like. <laughs> this is this is one. Beneath was one that I was going to review, and that's why I wrote, or that's why I watched it. But I just decided not to, not to bother. Yeah. No. There's no need to talk about it. I'm glad that you, I'm glad that you're starting to do that. It's something that needs to be done more often. I think. Yeah. In yeah. The, this the, is the second. The, this and Transformers. I was just like, no. Yeah. In no. the in the entire uh, the whole realm of criticism. It's something that needs to start happening. Unlike Cabin Fever, though, I think that there will be an audience for Beneath. I think that a lot of people will like it and find it suspenseful. There's a lot of jump scares in it. The The twist ending is ridiculous and stupid and doesn't make any sense. But Well, that's kind of the other thing with these low-budget horror movies is reviews don't fucking matter. People are going to see them anyways. Yeah, it's true. They, are, they, always, they always have an audience, and they always will. Yeah, that's true. I'm just like kind of out on the search for something new and different. Yeah. You know, with these. So. <laughs> Good luck with that. Unfortunately, Beneath doesn't doesn't do that. Doesn't it's, deliver. It's like a poor man's The Descent. Yeah. Uh, I watched a uh, little indie indie drama called I Used to Be Darker from last year from Matthew Porterfield. Now, well, I noticed on your uh, on your diary here this week you I you really, uh, you really went into the American Indies. I yeah, I found some good Indies. I'm coming back around on them. You know, I just I, apparently I was watching the wrong ones. <laughs> now I've seen Porterfield before. I've watched I watched Putty Hill, which was the movie before this. I used to be darker, which I kind of liked, kind of didn't. You know, sort of just in the middle on it. But this is one that actually you know garnered my attention a little bit. And I'm definitely going to be checking him out more in the future. Um, it's just a little indie drama centering around a northern Irish runaway who runs off to Baltimore to stay with her aunt and uncle who 
she doesn't know, but they're currently in the middle of a divorce and it's kind of getting ugly. <clears throat> and the reason that she runs off to stay with them is because she just found out that she's pregnant and she's only like 18, 19 years old. And she has no idea what the hell to do. And she's fucking terrified. Mm. And the, the married couple, the aunt and the uncle are played by real life musicians, uh, Kim Taylor and Ned Oldham, who Ned Oldham is the brother of Bonnie Prince Billy. So what's that sound? That's just me going. Hmm. <laughs> so the thing with those two is when it comes to, you know, conveying their emotions or communicating their emotions, they're fucking terrible at it face to face. But through music and art, they're they're unbelievable. They hmm. can just, you know, lay their emotions bare and just get it all out there. But the problem is, is that they've been married for a while and Ned Oldham's character is sort of given up on music and he has more of a like responsible type life going on where he works for a cement company, you know, cause he's got to pay bills and everything. So like the musical side of him has kind of died, which along with that is sort of the emotional side of him. So there's a lot of great music in it. Um, great soundtrack, great music from the actual two characters. They play like most of their own music throughout. And it's just a nice little indie drama. It's nothing, you know, special. It doesn't blow you away or anything. It's just, it's a decent little film that's on, uh, watch this on Netflix Instant. And it's got... It looks like this This takes place in Ocean City, Maryland. It did. She starts off there, the, the Northern Irish runaway. That's where she's, like, working in the summer. But and then when she gets pregnant, then she, she hightails it to Baltimore. Oh, very cool. Which, uh, Porterfield's from Baltimore. And the, the cinematography on this one is from the Blue Ruin director. Mm -hmm. So the cinematography is pretty good, too. Yeah, I, I've heard of this movie. I just never got around to seeing it. I'm going to have to seek this one out. Yeah, it's not going to blow you away or anything, but... They rarely do. Yeah, it's a solid little film, though. I saw one that was kind of interesting. Not <laughs> Nowhere even close. There's no way to segue this one from what you have. Nice. Actually, no, there there might be a little bit oh, of a connection. Here we go. Not not really, though. Hit me. Uh, I saw Nightbreed uh, from oh, 1990, yeah. directed by Clive Barker. And this is like one of these classic horror movies that I just never saw for whatever reason. And they're actually doing a remaster of this on Scream Factory. And they're going to put out a Blu-ray. Okay. Pretty excited about it. So I was like, okay, I'll check it out. And then I'll get the Blu-ray, see, you know, see how they... Uh, made everything better with the blu-ray this is a really weird movie <laughs> i am i am instantly interested it is so weird it's uh it stars craig sheffer okay. who was born in york pennsylvania get the fuck out of here yeah yeah he was in a river run, runs through it wow yep um, born in born in old york pa wow and it so it stars him as He's just kind of a normal dude. He's been having these nightmares. He's going to see a therapist about his nightmares. Turns out the therapist is David Cronenberg. Oh, and Cronenberg tells him that he is actually like carrying out his nightmares. He has these nightmares about killing people. And uh, it turns out that David Cronenberg's actually the one that's killing the people. He okay. plays a serial killer that wears this like super creepy looking mask. Uh, and in addition to having nightmares about killing people, uh, Craig Sheffer has these nightmares about 
this kind of mutant group of people that he he runs into turns out the mutants are real and they're living in this uh, underneath this cemetery and they have this whole like civilization underground and they're all of these i mean tons of these really weird creepy mutants and they all have different abilities uh some of them don't some of them are just ugly (laughs) the one guy the one guy looks exactly like the 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 moon man from mcdonald's do you remember that uh back in like the 80s maybe early 90s when mcdonald's started to stay open later they had a new mascot and it was like a guy that looked like a moon yes i do remember that he wore sunglasses yes. <laughs> there's one character that looks exactly like like him in this movie wow so craig sheffer infiltrates this this group finds out that he is also a mutant in an, in himself <laughs> uh he's got a mutant in himself oh my god this sounds amazing and the Cronenberg kind of manipulates the police and the FBI to hunt hunt down these mutants and find them and kill them. So all the townsfolk kind of band together to hunt down the mutants in like a Frankenstein style of uh, of uh, like a sequence that's like that. And <laughs> they have like bazookas and shit that they're shooting at at these mutants. Uh, it's ridiculous. Danny Elfman did the score. Uh, it was excellent score. A lot of the cinematography is really good, which is quite surprising, especially at the beginning. It looks really good. I have to say that just, the, the mask that Cronenberg wears is terrifying. Yeah, it's really creepy. Good Lord. A lot of really cool makeup effects in this a lot of elaborate makeup effects. Like there's this one girl that she kind of looks like a porcupine and she can like shoot her quills and poison people. There's one girl that can turn into smoke and she, she turns into smoke and then like materializes inside of a guy What? and, and like rips through his body. That sounds amazing. Yeah. It's, it's very gory. There also, there's, a, there's a, a guy here that kind of looks like the, uh, the creatures from avatar. But not blue. I think that's the porcupine person. Maybe. I don't know who it is. Ridiculous. There's another guy that has like kind of predator style dread. Yeah, that's that's the one. Yeah. That's the one that I'm thinking of here. This movie sounds ridiculous. And there's another guy that just walks around with a Boston Terrier. What? He just walks around with a Boston Terrier. Are you? He has a dog. He just walks around with it, carrying it around. He looks sort of like a monk. Are you making that up? Or is that no, real? Dude. It is so weird, I'm telling you. It's amazing. I want to see I want to see this. Yeah, make it's that, a movie. Make that happen. It, it, it has it's really fast-paced. Like the movie moves so quickly. You're just like, "What the fuck is going on?" Like the whole time you're just trying to figure out what in the hell is happening in this movie. None of it makes any sense, but it's still so much fun to watch just because it's so weird and out there. That's my that's one of my favorite things about these ridiculous movies from the 80s and 90s is that they never really took the time to have them make sense. Yeah, I mean, this is based on a novel by Clive Barker. So Maybe there's more information in the novel. They also set it up for a sequel, which never happened, uh, but 
They are, in addition to remastering this movie, putting it on Scream Factory, they announced that they will be making this into a TV series, too. Okay. So it's going to be on TV as well. Wow. Highly recommend it. Nightbreed. Nightbreed. That's, that just sounds fantastic. <laughs> yeah. I want to see that so bad. It's stupidly amazing. I've, I've noticed that this year I've really gotten into those. Because of you, these ridiculous movies from the 80s and 90s, they're just just, shit tons of fun. Yeah, I mean, they're just so (laughs) unique. There's there's just nothing like Nightbreed out there. The only thing that I would compare it to would be Little Monsters with Fred Savage. (laughs) That's going to be, that's going to be my double bill. I'm going to watch Little Monsters and then watch Nightbreed. It'd be a good double bill. It's going to, it's going to be a great day. I can't wait for that day. I watched uh, an extremely disturbing yet absolutely beautiful film called Under the Skin. John Pink right. Glazer's new one. Yeah, I'm gonna. Uh, hopefully, I'll have this watched next week. Yeah, I just want to see how you react to this fucker because this is just this is bizarre. It's got this weird blend of like a lot of the sequences are candid camera style, where it's just Scarlett Johansson driving around in a van talking to people in scotland like trying to pick them up and trying to get you know directions from them and it's just all done impromptu like they're not actors or anything it's just really her driving up to strangers in scotland and asking for directions and just chatting them up and then there's these all the other sequences of the movie are just extremely overly stylized like visual experiences of just one bizarre grotesque image after another where she takes some of these guys home and her her apartment or room or whatever the hell you want to call it is just pitch black and the floor is like black reflective and they just slowly get naked and walk across this and then she continues the walk while they slowly descend into this like pool of black water and just get engulfed and then she just walks back over and leaves. And then there's one sequence where they finally show what happens to these guys when they're underneath the water. And it's unbelievably disturbing and disgusting, but oddly, oddly beautiful at the same time. Like, I don't, it's just the images in this movie are unbelievable. And the the soundtrack from uh, Mika Levi is, just adds a whole nother layer to this, to the unsettling nature of the entire film and the ending. I can't wait to see what you think of the ending in this one. I hope to watch it today. Yeah, I mean, it's an experience. It, he, Glazer does really leave it up to interpretation. Like, he took out a lot of the stuff that's in the original novel that it's based off of, but by the same name. Which, unfortunately for me, when the trailer first came out, like, I checked out the book on Amazon because I wanted to read it before I watched the movie. So when I was checking it out, I sort of got, you know, the gist of what the book was about, which kind of spoiled things for me. And that was the only way that I could see it. But he does... Glazer does keep a lot of that stuff out, sort of leaving it completely open for interpretation, which is mm. I I didn't I appreciate that he did it that he did it that way, but unfortunately for me, I knew what the book was about, so that's the only thing that was in my head. I couldn't get it out of there, but it's disturbing, it's gorgeous, it's intoxicating and really unsettling, but it's just it's one heck of a movie. It's something else, man. Yeah, I can't wait it's, to see it. I'm yeah. gonna, I'm gonna try to get it today. It's unbelievable. 
This is on video on demand too, by the way. So if you want to check it out, now's the time. Definitely do that. The only other one I saw was a movie called 1971. This is a documentary that screened at a few of the festivals recently. I think it screened at like Manhattan. It screened at Tribeca. I'm not sure if it was at Hot Docs. It was kind of all over the place. It doesn't have a release date yet, but I imagine that it will get a decent release because it is so well made. So basically it's about a, you know, this this takes place before the whole NSA controversy and the Edward Snowden leaks and all that stuff. Basically there was this group of activists who broke into an FBI field office in Media, Pennsylvania and stole thousands of files from the FBI and leaked them to the Washington Post and the New York Times. And it stirred this huge controversy because they basically uncovered the fact that the FBI at the time was spying on us. They were infiltrating like women's lib groups and the Black Panthers and college campuses posing as college students. And it was (laughs) like they were doing this stuff illegally, too. And they were they were doing a lot of really, really terrible things because this is still during Vietnam. Yeah. And J. Edgar Hoover was just doing a lot of nefarious things that the U.S. government had no idea he was doing. He was keeping it a secret from everybody. And what this group, the the files that this group took exposed all of that. And it just kind of cracked the lid wide open on all these terrible things that the FBI was doing. But the interesting thing about this documentary is that they show it all in reenactments. Okay. And they're really well made. With documentaries, generally reenactments are not a good idea because they end up having that kind of rescue 911 look to them. Yeah. Yeah. But in this case, uh, it it has, it feels like Argo. That's, That's what I would compare it to, where it has the way that they shot it, it looks very, very 70s. Okay. You know, they use like the kind of, I don't know how they do it. Like if they have like kind of yellowish filters that they put on this to is, make it look older. The thing about this is, but it, that I find interesting is, because this happened in like March, right? Like early March of 1971. So a couple months back, I guess like the anniversary of it, there was a lot of, uh, NPR was doing a lot of stories about this or maybe it was just w WITF was doing them but they didn't really mention that there was a documentary coming out about it yeah which is well, i don't know why because this sounds very interesting it is it's it's incredibly interesting and like i said the reenactments are really well done and they interview all of the people involved in this like there's eight people there was originally nine people in the group one of them backed out at the last minute and there was eight of them that carried out this operation, which <laughs> turned out to be like way easier than you would ever imagine. They basically, to, to start off, they had the one girl in the group pose as a uh, Swarthmore College student. Yeah. Because this is right by Swarthmore College. And she went in and basically just cased the joint. And they kept an eye on the office for several weeks getting the routine down. And then one of the guys in the group was uh, 
well-versed in lock picking. And all it was was just a normal, just a normal lock. And he just picked the lock and they walked right in. There was no alarms, no. They did have one security guy, but what they did was they waited until the Fraser Ali fight in there 71. You there you go. And they knew that everyone would be watching this fight because it was such a huge thing back then. And he the, the one of the interesting things was he found that they put a deadbolt on the door, which they weren't prepared for. So he had a crowbar and he put the crowbar in and he he could hear the building manager listening to the fight um, underneath of him. And he waited until like the crowd started building up on the TV and waited to, you know, push the crowbar in to to, uh, unjam the door. Hmm. But it was very, very interesting. Very interesting documentary. Definitely recommend it. Yeah, I think I remember hearing those stories a couple of months back. They were very interested in the fact that they never got caught. And, yeah, it's... and that it what like one whoever found out about it, I think it was, you know, the reporter that broke first broke the story or something. It was just while they were having dinner, like at their house, and they were like, Oh yeah, by the way, we're the ones that broke in and stole all that stuff. And she was just like, What? Yeah, we yeah, we did that back in seventy one. And the crazy thing is they tried to do it again. It wasn't the same eight people, but two of the eight tried to do it again, and they did get caught. See, that's, but, just, that's not intelligent. Don't do that. No, it's it's not. It's not intelligent. Get but greedy. there was uh, there was a lot of people involved with that one, and the crazy thing was they got caught during the trial. They used the information that they collected. The defense lawyers used the information collected about what the FBI was doing and presented that during the trial and it caused the jury to acquit everybody hmm. even though they were caught red-handed breaking into this fbi office they all got acquitted <laughs> i mean it was crazy oh good stuff i mean that's that's just something you don't hear of anymore i mean just look at the snowden thing yeah good lord i don't know when it's coming out but i do recommend seeing it when it does well we have a review up on the site but we'll also uh, probably post up when this gets a release date. Nice. That's all I got. Uh, I have one more. Another American indie little one from uh, 2012 called Bad Fever. Directed by Dustin Guy Defa. Defa? Defa? I'm not sure how he pronounces his last name. He was one of the uh, vampire victims in Summer of Blood. Hmm. Uh, this is the only feature that he's made so far. Feature length film. Which she needs to do more of because this was quite good. And Kentucker oddly gives an unbelievable performance in this one. He plays a a guy that desperately wants to be a stand-up comedian, yet he does not understand comedy in any way whatsoever. Like he just doesn't get it at all. He doesn't know what's funny. He has no sense of humor. He has no idea how to construct jokes. I don't even think he knows what a joke is. Because one of his jokes is merely, I want to the grocery store and you're not going to believe who I saw. I saw the workers at the grocery store. That's it. Like there's no pause. There's no timing to it. Um, he's like, he's a guy that's, he's like 20. He's like a 20 something. He has no friends. His mother doesn't even talk to him. It's like, it feels as though he's never had attention or affection in his life. And this is the result of it where he's just anxiety ridden 
and just desperately wants attention from anyone. He doesn't care who. So much so that he gets enamored and infatuated with a <laughs> like a drifter of sorts. This woman that asks him to buy a pack of marble lights. She lives in an abandoned school. <laughs> and her hobby is recording shit with a VHS camcorder. And he's just, he's full steam ahead. He wants this girl's attention no matter what. She ends up making him do all this weird stuff while she films it with the VHS camcorder. And he finally gets a shot at being a stand-up comedian at this local bar. He gets to do his set, and it's just, it's one of the most cringe-inducing things I've ever seen. It's so unbelievably uncomfortable. The entire time I watched this film, I was just sort of constantly putting my hand over my face. This sounds like right up my alley. Yeah, just being like... I love awkward and uncomfortable. Just shaking my head like, oh... Because Kentucker plays a guy named Eddie. So the entire time I'm just like, Eddie, what are you doing? Eh, Come on, Eddie. But it's a comedy, yet it's one of the saddest comedies I've ever seen. It it feels a lot like uh, the comedy with Tim Heidecker, Mm -hmm. but like a different character study. Like a guy that had no attention affection growing up, and he's just a complete mess socially and has no confidence whatsoever and just stumble stumbles and stammers like a seven-year-old it's it's something else cool. highly recommend it how how did you see this i saw this because i have movie.com it's okay, currently so, on movie all right so if you have a membership to movie check out bad fever i think you can rent it on amazon as well all right Let's uh, go ahead and get into our feature reviews. Do you want to start with Life Itself or Uncertain Terms? you want to keep with the American indie vibe and go Uncertain Terms first? Why not? Let's do that. Okay. So this is directed by Nathan Silver. This just premiered at the LA Film Festival. And apparently, I have not been able to figure out when this is getting a release. Me either. What what did it say on Rotten Tomatoes? It said July... July 14th. July 14th. Limited release. All right, so maybe it's getting a New York and L.A. release or maybe just one of those cities. One theater in New York, probably. Yeah, so this I have an IMDb synopsis here. Fleeing the city, Robbie takes refuge at his aunt's country house, which happens to be a makeshift home for pregnant teenagers. What did you think of Uncertain Terms? Uncertain Terms. I thought that this was kind of um, in the same vein of I used to be darker where I thought it was like a solid little indie drama. Nothing that really blew me away. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, I enjoyed it. Yeah. I thought it was, I thought it was uh, nicely nicely structured. Well acted, too. It reminded me It reminded me somewhat of Short Term 12, in a way. But a little more authentic. A little more authentic, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it definitely had an American indie vibe to it. Oh, I it's mean, got like American. all the beats... All the beats are there. You got the the back of the head shots and you have a couple the handhelds and it's it's all there. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. I enjoyed the movie quite a bit. It's only 75 minutes long, so it's breezy to get through, which I enjoyed. The fact that it wasn't yeah, the, it wasn't so grating. No, it it knows what it needs to say and it says it and then it's done. Yeah, a lot of it felt documentary-like. I would imagine that a lot of the dialogue was improvised because it, it did feel very natural. The conversations felt very real. Yeah. For the most part. 
some of it, like uh, the the guy that played Robbie, David Dalbum, mm-hmm. I thought that his uh, acting was a little inconsistent. Yeah, which is kind of understandable. I think this is his only, or at least according to IMDb, this is his only acting credit. Well, if it's his if it's his first and only acting credit, then he did a he did a good job. But yeah, it was still. I thought that the the girls did a better job. Yeah, I thought that the girls in the in the house were quite good. Yeah, they were a lot more natural than he was, definitely. And I actually thought that the the boyfriend was he did a pretty good job, especially during the the dinner scene when he was. Oh yeah, I thought he, that he did a, like a really good job with that. Yeah, he was a bit of a. He could really play a dick. Oh yeah, that kid. Oh yeah, he was good. Was that Casey Drogan? Chase? I don't, I don't yeah. know. I can't remember the names yeah. of the. People. I can't remember the names Damn either, it. but I think that's who it is. Yeah. Damn it! I just enjoyed that. You know, Robbie has there's something going on in Robbie's marriage, and he flees to the country house, and he's just sort of helping out, doing odd jobs in and around the house. While I would, there's like five or six young pregnant girls there this makeshift home and it's just probably the worst possible place for him to be at that point in time probably and he just ends up and i i love how silver kept switching it up like there was times where the pregnant teenagers were much more mature than robbie was and robbie was acting you know like a teenager making these ridiculously brash decisions and sort of rushing into things without really thinking them through and they just kept switching back and forth and he just makes a lot of terrible decisions well yeah i mean not at first but definitely yeah it's just it definitely yeah definitely towards the end they just get increasingly worse as the movie goes on i think it's just i think that that just goes to show you that like he's he's just starting to give in to temptation you know because he he's going through this rough patch in his marriage and it's like, like you said, this is the worst place for him to be because these girls, several of these girls are like infatuated with him yeah. and they want to, they want to have sex with him. So he's constant at first, he seems to be, you know, not giving in to any kind of temptation with that. He's kind of brushing them off. But then as the film progresses, as his relationship with his wife becomes more and more rocky, it's, it's like he you know that his will begins to crumble yeah and he starts you know these are all essentially wounded vulnerable people and they start you know he starts uh finding comfort in the uh the attention that he's getting from mm-hmm. one of the pregnant mm-hmm. girls and it's just like after the first you know the one girl is extremely infatuated with him so much so that she just rushes down to his room and just sort of attacks him yeah she just throws herself on. Yeah. You would think at that point in time that him being an adult would come to the realization like, this is, I shouldn't be here. Yeah. This is not a good place right now. <laughs> Should not be in and around this house doing small tasks. Yeah. He's shirtless. In... Why? Yeah. <laughs> he was in a difficult position because he, the, the original reason that he went out there in the first place is because it was away from his wife. He needed time to think. And this it unfortunately backfired. Well, yeah, it back- made things way more complicated. Yes, a lot more complicated than they needed to be. And I have to say that it did really the where uh, Silver took it towards the end 
really kind of surprised me. I, I was I was surprised. I yeah. did not think that it was going that way at all. It it ramped up in a way that I didn't think would happen. Yeah, so much so that you're just again just putting your face in your hand, thinking, "God damn it, Robbie, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing, buddy? Come on, <laughs> get your shit together." Yeah, yeah. Because I I honestly didn't think it was gonna go there. Like I I didn't see it happening. I mean, I saw that the the temptation was there, but I think I just inadvertently spoiled the movie. Well, I think I don't think you did because. It's, it's it gets a lot more complicated than just you know giving him to hooking temp- up yeah. with one of the girls yeah, yeah the it's him not, giving into temptation like he he goes much he goes much bigger which is <laughs> it's just kind of ridiculous yeah that's that's true uh what did you think of the uh the, the my neck my back scene when they that's, were playing uh, that was bizarre <laughs> yeah that, again that's another time where robbie should have been like i shouldn't be here i'm gonna excuse myself (laughs) from this i'm gonna go dig some holes i will be go dig a trench outside (laughs) i will be outside if you need me yeah that was uncomfortable there was i that was extremely uncomfortable to be seeing a bunch of pregnant like 18 year olds dancing uh to my neck yeah my back or whatever the fuck that song's called. I think it's called My Neck, My Back. But yeah. You, everybody listening knows exactly what the song is. Yeah. Just watching them dance to that, I was just like, no, I, I don't want to see that. No, thank you. So that, I didn't like that scene too much. It was extremely <laughs> uncomfortable. Now, how would you compare this to Short Term 12? Did you like this one more? This was much better. This it didn't feel... I, there was like... Just just a tiny, tiny smidge of being contrived, whereas Short Term 12 just felt like contrived. Very heavy-handed. Yeah, just yeah. heavy-handed and one contrived scene after another, just laying it on thick, where it was like, oh my God, you already had me. Just stop. Dial it back a little bit, you know? I'm already invested in this. I'm, you're already tugging at the heartstrings. You don't have to you know, punch me in my eyes until I cry. Like, I'm getting there. A little patience. I didn't think that this movie was as sad as Short Term 12, no, by it def- any means. No, it definitely wasn't as sad. Even though there is that little sequence involving a um, like a miscarriage, which mm-hmm. to me kind of felt out of place. That was the only thing that I had a problem with. It just it felt forced. Like, it really didn't add to the story that much. Yeah, they uh, they kind of addressed it and then, and then just quickly gone. forgot it. Yeah. That, that was something that kind of bothered me a little bit. That was really was, the only thing that really... I was hoping that that event would have affected the characters more. Because yeah. it didn't seem... Because at first it was like, oh man, this this is going to like rock their worlds. You know, it's going to make them... It's going to really affect how they look at their pregnancy and where they're at and all this stuff. But it really didn't do that at all. And I don't, I don't know if it would in real life. Yeah. You know? Well, maybe that was the point he was trying to make. Is that you know they're so caught up in their their own little worlds that it doesn't right. really affect them that much. But it did seem odd that it, it took this like huge tonal shift, like shit got real. Yeah, and you're like, damn, this is getting dark. And then it just f- throws it out the window, and you're like, okay, what was the what was the point of the miscarriage thing? What's going on here? So again, that was the only thing that really took me out of it a little bit. The uh, the the cousin the 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 son of Carla the caretaker I 
wasn't really like it seemed like he was there to provide some sort of comedic relief but and he, and he didn't deliver yeah he, he he didn't deliver like i didn't really know what his deal was like was he is he supposed to be is he a teacher because he at near the beginning of the film yeah. he's sitting there and he's like is it bad that i want to fuck one of my students but then like they never they, like, that was it no you know he's just sort of there to I don't know what he's there for. Yeah, that was yeah. the other thing that kind of bothered. I sort of forgot about him. Which he's actually I mean, he's played, supposed to he's, be. He's played by the director. He's supposed to be kind of a screw up, I guess. But I just didn't really understand what his uh, yeah, what the point he's, of him he's was. He's supposed to be helping Robbie, but he never helps Robbie with any yeah. of these small jobs around the makeshift home for pregnant teens. But yeah, he oh. was he was a little distracting. Overall, though, I would say it's a it's a solid indie. Yeah, and I'm kind of kind of excited to see more from Nathan Silver. I'm surprised I haven't heard of him before. Yeah, same here. Same here. I, I'm definitely gonna be keeping my eye on him. I'm gonna go ahead and give Uncertain Terms a uh, let's say uh, it, um I don't know six six uh, it's six or six and a half. I don't know. I'm I'm kind of waffling. I'm I'm. Doing the exact same thing. I'm waffling between a six and a seven, because I want to say six because it's not outstanding by yeah. any stretch, but I also want to say seven because it has a very authentic feel to it. It's very right, natural. and and there's not there's not too many negatives. No, you know, like just just watching it, there's not a lot of uh, things that I can say about it where I'm just like, well, psh, that was not good. Yeah, like so, you know, I, I guess I'll I'll say six and a half. I'm gonna go six and a half as well. Oh boy, same page. <laughs> Keeping same going, page dude. in it. Same page in it. Day after day. <laughs> All right. We have let's melded our brains together. Let's are, move on. We are now one critic. Well, a lot of uh, we we are on the same page a lot with a lot of things. Yeah, it's we just, just we, that's just how it is. I, I I'm actually it's kind of bothering me a little bit because I just I need. One of those movies where we're on the complete opposite ends of the spectrum, just to shake things up. You know what I mean? Uh, what has that happened? I'm trying to remember the last time that's happened. I know. Uh, I really liked Proxy, and you didn't like that. Usually, usually when it does happen, it's one I like and you hate. <laughs> <laughs> like that's that's usually how it goes. <laughs> Current Horse, you love you love that. I hated that. Yeah, that was, that was a long time ago. Well, let's go ahead and move on. I maybe we'll be maybe we'll be off on our next movie. Here it is. It might be this one. Might be. Uh Life Itself. So this is the documentary about Roger Ebert, directed by Steve James. I don't think I need to read a synopsis. It's a documentary about Robert Ebert <laughs> Roger Ebert. So um Could you give I, me I saw, give me a little bit of backstory here? I saw oh. this at Sundance and I gave it a 10 out of 10 in my initial review. Ooh. Yeah, I saw it again. And that's, and I think I say in my review, completely biased review. Like, just as full disclaimer. Most, full disclaimer. Most movies, I can be, I think, I can be fairly objective in most, most movies that I see. Yeah. Uh, I can be pretty fair. But with life itself, it's. Uh, it, it just kind of hits me on a personal note. And in addition to my completely biased opinion about Roger Ebert 
and what he has done for the film industry. I thought it was a really well-made documentary. So there you have it. <laughs> I gave it. I gave it a ten out of ten. I love this film. I think that it is a, a, a perfect tribute to Roger Ebert and his career and his life. And I thought that it was incredibly sad, but not like ham-fisted, where they just it's like manipulating you to to cry. You know, I think it's also very celebratory of yeah. his life. Uh, a lot of it is funny and upbeat and it's just it's an excellent movie that i think that anybody that fancies themselves uh a cinephile should see it no oh, yeah i think that they owe it to themselves to to see this movie and understand about film criticism and just what roger ebert did not just for film criticism but for the industry as a whole yeah oh now this is uh this is one of those tough movies where I have some things I want to say, but everyone's just going to see me as being a dick. Yep. Yep. So, fuck it. Let's do it. Uh, the only thing that... One of the things that I had a, a difficult time with this film is that Steve James making it in and around the time where his the health starts to deteriorate. And it seems to me that a lot of the focus was just on the end there. You know, with his disease and the complications and you know him getting worse and worse and it seems like the entire memoir portion you know the book life itself and his life as a film critic and everything just got pushed off to the side and we're just focusing on his last days here which is completely understandable from steve james's point like if you're yeah in the middle of that of course that's going to take up a lot of your footage that you're making but to me it took me out a little bit well, it didn't, didn't necessarily take me out. When I was thinking about that aspect of it, this film was already in the works. Like He was already working on this movie before Ebert ended up back in the hospital. So yeah. it, it was almost like it was one of those documentaries that started out as one thing and then kind of exactly. turned into something else. That's what I'm saying. Like It's hard to... That was the biggest problem that I had with it. But at the same time, if I'm Steve James... I would probably do the same thing. And, and you know plus, what I mean? Because you're there. It's you have plus to you got to remember that that Steve James was friends with Roger Ebert. Yeah, too. exactly. So there's that aspect of it as well. I just I found it a little bit lacking in some of the areas. A lot of times with this film, when he would when Steve James would touch on some of the different aspects of Ebert's life, it felt like he was just sort of doing the bullet points. And yeah. kind of with this undercurrent of, if you want to know more, buy the book. And I understand that he can't do everything in the book because we'd be looking at fucking Alexander or Berlin Alexander Platt's type running time here. Yeah. But it, it did it did leave me wanting a little bit more, which is not necessarily a bad thing. I can, I can see that. I mean, I can understand that, but... I thought that it was, uh, I learned a lot about Roger Ebert that I didn't know previously. I loved all the the kind of candid footage with him and Gene Siskel when they were like the, arguing the and behind, just the, all that stuff. The behind the scenes stuff of him and, him and Siskel was just, oh, that was unbelievable. That was so great just to see those two bickering. <laughs> and it was, that I do want to say because you know I made some points about what I didn't like about it. The number one thing that I did like about this documentary is that it didn't go into this whole like 
hero worshiping mythologizing of this guy you know these they gave both points that you know he was a really nice guy but at the same time he could be an asshole he right. could be you know sort of a dick when it came to reviewing some movies and especially the way his relationship with Siskel evolved where they just sort of grew into these characters like mm-hmm. just bickering with each other <clears throat> and just sort of you know I, I enjoyed that that it wasn't just all one side of this guy's the greatest yeah I, I think that that's that's the other thing that you got to think about is that Ebert himself was signing off on yeah. a lot of this stuff in the documentary and I think that it was really important to him to show everything uh very you know true true to life and as is and I don't think that he wanted to be put on any kind of pedestal or anything like that no no not at all that's what it, that was the main thing that i liked about it plus i think the, that a, i think that a lot of critics do put him on a pedestal for sure yeah. oh yeah but when you look at it and i think that that's another thing that this movie does is that it shows how transformative his career has been in kind of shaping the industry i mean like and it, and it shows not only the good things but the bad things as well like how right you know, studios and stuff got so transfixed on this right. two thumbs yep. up thing, which yeah. is understandable from like Corliss's mm-hmm. view when they, you know, they talk about him a little bit with his little tiff with the film comment article that he wrote, which I completely understand where Corliss is coming from because yep. it did get out of hand. But at the same time, that's not really Ebert's fault that they latched onto it and just fucking ran with it, you know? Well, and that's the other thing is that from the beginning they said that with their show they were making that show for consumers for regular people you know regular people don't read film comment (laughs) sorry no you and i read film comment but but regular consumers don't read that they just want to know if a movie's good or if a movie's bad if they should see it or if they shouldn't and this is something that we've been talking (laughs) a lot about recently off the air it is and i think that hit that 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 f- show of theirs was really what put uh film criticism it, it made it available to the masses and it made it it easily digestible for just regular joes that need to know if they should see transformers or not you know yeah. plus it was just it was always extremely interesting when they disagreed Oh, yeah. It's immensely on something. And I did love that they, because I kind of forgot that Ebert, I knew that Ebert could be sort of like a petulant child at times when it came to like really disagreeing with Siskel. But I forgot how much he used to do the finger pointing thing, Mm -hmm. which I don't understand how Siskel didn't fucking punch him in the face. Because I'm the type of guy that like if, if you point your finger in my face, nothing pisses me off more. I'll have to make a note of that. <laughs> next time you, we get you will next get, time we get into a big argument about yeah, a movie. You might get punched in the face. Like I'm just like <laughs> sitting there thinking like, man, how is Cisco not slapping the shit out of him? Well, that was just their their working relationship. I think it was that's what made the show interesting. That's what made it worth watching. Yeah. But I mean it's because the, you know the downside to it was a little bit is uh you know how they sort of grew into those characters a bit too much yeah like they kind of got away from the movies a little bit because they just got more into like arguing with each other 
Which is understandable, though. It's probably it'll probably happen with us. But I mean, I think that we we all owe uh, Siskel and Ebert, you know, our gratitude for getting this whole thing started. And I think that it's interesting to see how film criticism has evolved into what it is now, which is a, a complete fucking mess. <laughs> and people like Roger Ebert don't exist anymore. Like there will never be another Roger Ebert. That's just never going to happen. And that's, I think that that's something else to think about. I think that that's something that's interesting because I mean now, well, I can't remember what movie that was. I think it was edge of tomorrow. I saw a poster that featured tweets as the pull quotes, random people from Twitter. People and it's like this. This is where we're going now. They're trying. We're not even using. We're, we're not even using quotes from from critics. We're just pulling pulling stuff from Twitter. Yeah, but then again, I do read a lot of quotes on Rotten Tomatoes, and I don't know if I would use those either. Because there's well, there's some, some shitty stuff yeah. on there. But I, the other interesting thing for me was to see how much his illness kind of humbled him yeah. to the point where he got. He got even better. Well, that's yeah. That's as what I was a critic, say. I mean, they even said in in the film that he did some of the best writing of his life after he, you know, had the surgery and was and could no longer speak. And oh yeah, like I was, I would be on his website every day, every day towards the end of there because he was just writing constantly. It was nothing but reviews, blog posts. They were extremely interesting and very touching, but he was also replying to like everyone that would, yeah. you know, like write comments. So you would get stuck in a K hole just going through all these comments to see how he was responding to people. And, you know, it's just like a nonstop interview, really, it was on his website. Yeah. Was, and I know that, uh, that Todd, who, who writes for our site, Ebert is the only critic that he would read reviews for. Just Ebert, nobody else. I'm pretty much the same way, or at least I was. That's pretty much how I was, too. That's pretty much how I was. Because even though I disagreed a lot with Ebert, he, we've talked about this numerous times, is he told you what was good and what was bad. And see, that's the thing. And that's all I needed to know, because a lot of the times the stuff that he didn't like in a movie is right up my alley. And I'd be like, even though he hates this, this sounds like my type of movie. And and just going back to like when you and I disagree about a movie, more often than not, it's that type of situation where there's certain things that you like about the turn horse that I I can I understand I understand why you like that and I can I can respect that, but for those same reasons, that's why I didn't like it. Yeah. Yeah. And as long as you can articulate that's those are the things, then I think that then you have a successful uh, review of a movie. And and that's what Ebert was so good at doing. He was that, But the thing that took him over the top was his ability to frame it in human emotion and sort of like this like critique of social commentary, but not being extremely heavy at the same time. Like he found that perfect balance. Yeah. And then and it, added and it, to like this is what the movie's about. This is what's good. This is what bad. And that was that was another thing I liked about uh, the movie 
is that they would show clips of some of the films that he reviewed and then deliver excerpts from it. So you just you get an idea if you haven't read a lot of his reviews or maybe haven't read his older reviews. Yeah. You you get an idea of what he thought about these like big iconic movies, you know, like Apocalypse Now and movies like that. Good stuff. Good stuff. I did enjoy you know, even though at the beginning there I did I had some negative points about this documentary. It is it's a hell of a watch. I mean, you can't deny that. Even if you do have some problems with it, you're still going to enjoy the shit out of it. Yeah, I agree. And again, when I saw this at Sundance, it was in a theater that was entirely filled with critics. Yeah. So that in and of itself was uh, truly, truly a really amazing experience for me, at least. And there's, uh, I could see, I want to see a whole documentary just about Ebert and Chaz. Like, I just want to see that, that is, I just want to see a whole thing about their relationship, because that's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. And I I did did like how they got into, you know, his personal life and his relationship with Chaz and his grandkids and his stepchildren and all that stuff, too, because that was, again, something that I didn't know a whole lot about. Yeah. I also loved uh, Herzog. Oh, God. (laughs) I wish... I wish there was I wish more he narrated. Song. I wish he narrated the film. I wish he narrated it. I there's a part of me that wish he made the documentary. Yeah. No, I mean not the slight Steve James any. It's just it would have been very interesting to see what Herzog would have done. You know, like halfway through just pausing. To, showing albino alligators. Yeah, showing <laughs> albino alligators for the next ten minutes. <laughs> it would have been more uh probably would have been a lot more poetic, that's for sure. It's been very interesting. Very interesting. He's a soldier of cinema. <laughs> and I love uh, Chaz Ebert <laughs> doing. Yeah. Uh, and then cutting. <laughs> uh, there's also a really, really heartfelt, emotional moment from Martin Scorsese in this. Yeah, that, which is something uh, I didn't even know about at all. That was it, the incredible, surprise. incredible scene. How they how they you know cut all the music there was just and then they just left it on scorsese saying just telling that story and it was just a very very touching moment and i don't think i've ever seen him get that emotional over something and it was just a really really incredible scene yeah this is one of those things like the the movie that uh, or the documentary that ebert discussed a little bit in the film the the seven up series of films the documentaries mm-hmm. is I kind of hope that they do that with this movie. That like every couple of years they sort of go back to it and add a little bit more to it. You know, a little bit more about film criticism and how he affected it. Well, they did add more since I saw it at Sundance. So when it screened at Cannes, they added more. However, I rented it on demand and I didn't see, like I didn't pick up on what they added. Uh-huh. I think... Maybe they added the bit about Can and how he loved going there and talking about that because I don't, I don't necessarily remember that the first time I saw it. So maybe that's what they added in. Maybe. I mean, it would seem fitting that they would add the part about Can at Can. You know. Yeah. I think maybe that's what they added in, but I'm not sure. Either way, uh, just just do yourself a favor. Go see this. Yeah. This oh, yeah. is play, playing playing uh, in select cities and on demand right now. It's on iTunes. I think that 
Well, I guess it's on Amazon Instant Video now, too. Oh, is it? It wasn't the other day. Yeah, I know. It is now. God, this on-demand shit. But it must they, have been... They gotta get it together. That's what I'm saying. Because we looked, we looked, what, on, on uh, Friday? Maybe they just yeah. didn't get it posted up yet. Because it's on there now. So is you it? can get it I on still... Amazon Instant Video for six ninety nine. I still can't find it. If you get um if you go to the life it's or uh on IMDb and look at the movie there's a link that says watch now from 6.99 on Amazon instant video. See, so okay, if you just look it, it up on IMDb, there it is. You have to search for life itself Roger Ebert. Not the life itself movie cuz it's not going to show up if you put the word movie in it. Ugh. Ugh. It's ridiculous. This v- this VOD shit needs to they got to get it together. Yeah. It's still something I think that's relatively new, so I think it'll get better over time. I'm still gonna give Life Itself a ten out of ten. Oh, I'm just gonna I'm gonna stick with it. He's doing stick it. with my original score. I'm gonna be the mostly dick. mostly because of the context in which I I yeah. saw the movie. Uh, I'm gonna go with an eight. Go eight, eight out of ten. Go an eight. You know what, this right. movie? What it's like two hours long. This movie honestly took me like four and a half hours to watch because I constantly paused it to have discussions. Yeah, yeah. It is it is definitely a movie that, that sparks discussion, which I think he would have liked. Mm-hmm. You know, I think oh, yeah. that he would have wanted that because it not only makes you talk about his life, but it also makes you talk about film criticism and the state of movies and how the industry responds to film criticism. And it just, it opens, it opens it up for just so many debates and discussions. The, the only thing that I I kind of found, well, I don't know why this wasn't in there, but what about Richard Roper? Like, yeah, they they didn't, I don't know. They didn't interview him. Yeah. They didn't do anything with him. I don't, and I, I don't know why. Maybe he just didn't want to take away from Siskel, maybe, or something. I don't know. I have no idea. But I thought that that... I kept, you would think that they would at least interview him. I kept waiting for know? him to pop up, and he didn't. I thought that that was kind of odd. Maybe he had... Maybe it was just too difficult for him or something. I don't know. Some. I think maybe... I don't know how this was filmed. Like I don't know if they did all the interviews before he died or if they did some of them before some of them after if they did them all after yeah i don't know either way check it out life itself it's on video on demand now uh this was also uh, i should just quickly mention this was the first film that ever uh screened on demand and had its festival premiere at the same time i don't know if you remember when they did this but when it had its first screening at Sundance at its premiere. They also screened it live online via Indiegogo. Oh, okay. So if you if you um, donated to the film through Indiegogo, you could actually watch it streamed live when it premiered at Sundance. That was the first movie to, to do something like that. Hmm. All right, let's talk about our top 10 mid-year top 10s. Ooh. We're just gonna gonna breeze through this. We'll start with now. I have five honorable mentions. Also, holy shit! I know we're I doing know. honorable mentions. I know. Well, I'm up gonna mention them. them. I'm gonna mention them. You son of a and bitch. And they're gonna be honorable. Now so I, again, now I look like a dick. 
Well, I had a really hard time making this list because so you there just, were, so you just cop out. That's what you're saying. There were a lot of movies that I liked this year, but none that I was just like, oh, I love it. You know, <laughs> <laughs> this year, looking back, nothing was incredibly mind blowing to me. Ooh. Okay. I, well, I had a couple that. Uh, were, uh. I mean, there there are a few that were like. Well, let's just get into it. What do you have for your number 10 movie? For my number 10, I have the Jodorowsky's The Dance of Reality. Oh, okay. I haven't seen this yet, but I do plan on checking this that out. This is quite good. Quite good. Definitely check it out. If you're a fan of Jodorowsky, you have to see this movie. Is that on... Um, did that make it to Netflix? Or is that still on video on demand? <sighs> I don't even know. Okay. I don't even well, know. Check it out. I, th- I think that it is available somewhere, like on streaming... <laughs> So you can find it somewhere. There's uh, there's way number... too many streaming services now to check. Yeah, out. check it out on Voodoo. <laughs> check it out on Voodoo or Vimeo or Redbox Voodoo. Instant, <laughs> Redbox Instant or Netflix Instant or Movie or Movie Time Action Fun. <laughs> Blockbuster streaming. <laughs> I think it's available on Blockbuster streaming. <laughs> Hollywood Hollywoodvideo.org. <laughs> So many streaming services. Oh, God. My number 10 is Cold in July Ooh, by Jim Mickle. I didn't get to see this one yet. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a revenge tale. It's got Sam Shepard in it. It's got an awesome soundtrack. It takes place in the 80s. I mean, what what is... Of course it's going to make it on my list. Come on. <laughs> this is my kind of movie. It's right up your alley. What, all right, number nine. Number nine, I have Coherence. I also have Coherence as my number nine. Nice. Uh, this isn't on video on demand yet. I think it's coming out in early August. This is a nice little indie sci-fi movie. Highly recommend checking that out. You can go back and listen to our interview with the director, James Ward Burkett, also. Yeah. But, this yeah. Is, this is good stuff. This is a highly inventive, low-budget indie. Doppelgangers upon doppelgangers. So much, so much going on. Yeah, and it's all it's all improv. Are you kidding? Im- all improv, no script. Ridiculous. Very clever, excellent movie. What do you have for number eight? I have the double. The Jess- double. Jesse Eisenberg. This, this was uh, this was flirting with my list, but never did never make quite it. made didn't, it on there. Ooh, didn't break on there. I just loved uh, all the all the style that was in this movie. So much style. Lots of style. So much. Lots of style. So many doppelgangers. Doppelgangers everywhere. <laughs> I have one. Uh, my number eight's probably higher on your list, and that's Borgman. Ooh, yes, it is. I just I love this movie. We'll talk about it when when we hit yours. It is weird and ridiculous and fun, and I just love it. <laughs> <laughs> it's also a fun title to say. Borgman. <laughs> I did see on Twitter, there was a, I don't remember where it was, but there was a theater that was doing a double bill of mm-hmm. Borgman yeah. and Manborg. I saw, I saw that as <laughs> well, it. which is, that's fantastic. It's amazing. And those movies couldn't be further apart, like, content-wise. But no, but that's what, that's what we need nowadays. We need more of these theaters. Of course. They gotta get I, I agree. This is so stagnant. I agree. Especially for middle America. This is... We're getting pissed off in small town America. These shithole theaters doing nothing. 
no creativity. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And and uh, this is I know we're getting sidetracked here, but always one of the one of the interesting things was they showed a clip of the uh, uh, Siskel and Ebert, and they were like, "Oh, we're going to talk about the new movies this week," and it was like five movies. Mm-hmm. And it's like, holy shit, when does that happen anymore? Where you get like five wide releases in one week. Yeah. And they were like, one was like an animated family film. One was like an adult action movie. One was like a science fiction movie. And it's like, we don't get that anymore. We get one, maybe two releases. Yeah. And they're usually terrible. Yeah, it's sad. What do you have for your number seven? Uh, I'm going to keep going with the doppelgangers here. And I got anime. Okay. Again, that was one that was flirting with my list, but just didn't didn't quite make the cut. I have a, a German film called Wetlands Ooh. as my number seven. Now, this is probably one of the grossest movies I've ever seen in my life. Count me but out. But I loved it. It was funny. It was smart. It was uh, very heartfelt. And I just, I love the characters. I love the dynamic between all the characters. And it was shot really well it had this kind of uh mtv music video vibe to the whole thing and i just thought it was great great soundtrack also i don't know when that's coming out but i don't know go see it it's the grossest thing you will ever experience (laughs) go see it it's the grossest thing ever yeah it's like charming though it's like charmingly gross Uh, they do have i think online you can watch the first five minutes or something like that okay and it'll give you an idea of what the movie's like i don't want any part of that because there's plenty of gross stuff just in the first five minutes it's like the opening titles uh what do you have for your number six uh my number six is the lego movie that's actually my number six too (laughs) i'm not even kidding you we are we are (laughs) Slowly becoming one person. I'm a little worried that that you're you're becoming my doppelganger. It's the year of doppelgangers, dude. Oh my god! Not you can't uh, you can't escape it. Yeah, I just had so much fun with the Lego Movie. I thought it was so smart and funny, and and the animation is incredible. The Chris Pratt's voice work in this, like he, his voice acting is like the perfect fit. There's no one else that could do this movie. I agree. And I'm he's the main reason I'm excited for Guardians of the Galaxy. I think that he's going to make that movie so much fun. I just want to see the Lego movie again. I know. I, I, I do. I have been meaning to rewatch it because I know it is on demand right now. Uh, number five. Borgman. 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 <laughs> uh, yeah, this is a movie that it's just it's so out there it's so mm-hmm. bizarre very bizarre and it just gets more bizarre as it goes that's what i loved about it the fact that it just throws you in the deep end mm-hmm. doesn't mm-hmm. explain anything and then just gets more bizarre as it goes to the point where you're just like i don't know what any of this is but i love it and i want more yep, yep. please yep. more it's uh i would draw comparisons to dog tooth so if you haven't seen Borgman, but you saw Dogtooth and and liked that kind of really weird out there style, yeah, kind of. I think it's it's similar. I mean, the the story is much different, but uh, the way that it looks and the feel of it is similar. It's just it's fantastic. Yeah, definitely. Uh, my number five is Snowpiercer. Ooh, 
Yeah. A little snow, I, a little snow piercing action. I've been meaning. Yeah, I want to rewatch this again before the end of the year. It's. Uh, I just love the look of it. I I have been overly impressed with uh, Bong Joon Ho's previous films, and this being his first English language film, I think that he just kind of knocked it out of the park. It's so rare that yeah. one of these Asian filmmakers makes an English language film and it works. And to me, this really worked. I thought it was beautiful. I loved each, how each car was different as they were going through the train. I loved all of it. That was great. I wasn't as big of a fan of that one. That was not, it's not on my list. and It wasn't skirting on my list either. Okay. I just had to add that in there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> wow. All right. Just had to throw in my patented dip move. Apparently, Ernie didn't like it either. He gave it a four wow. out of ten, but I thought it was really? fantastic. Jeez, and he's Ernie's usually a lot more. I know Ernie's forgiving. very kind wow. to movies, but he wasn't feeling that one. I think that that's just the kind of movie that Snowpiercer is. It's like you either really love it or you don't. I was just more like a. Eh. I enjoyed myself. I would definitely, uh, I would definitely uh, recommend it. Yeah, but it's not going to pop up on any of my list. Uh, look up, look up some. Uh, there's some really interesting articles about that film. About, if you about Snowpiercer. Yeah. Okay. I'll look. What's your number four? My number four is Under the Skin. Now, now see this. This may... is this is my type of movie. Like as soon as you watch this, just I I have a feeling that the entire time you're just going to be like, yep, yep. I can see why Kevin. I can see why he's into this one. It's just it has everything that. I want really well this this very well may end up on my top 10 by the end of the year but I haven't seen it yet so oh it's it's good stuff yeah yeah I I am really excited to finally see this we've been waiting for a while yeah on this one yes indeed my number four is boyhood Richard Linkletter's film uh we'll we'll talk about this more next next week I would assume can I get you to see that for next week yeah i guess so i'll do it it's just for you just for you so I'll, I'll save my comments about it till next week but i think that it is a really amazing achievement in filmmaking just because of how it's made alone i know that that's probably not going to be enough for you no but not. uh it was enough for me okay. and i didn't think it was going to be but yeah. we'll talk about more about it next week okay at least you're honest number three my number three is the rover the rover the rover uh yeah this uh didn't didn't make it didn't make it for me but it's it's a good movie i I love the cinematography in this i love the music uh robin pattinson fantastic job and i just love that meticulous slow burn Mm -hmm. that it had going for it just loved it uh, my number three, and I'm guessing this is going to be on your list too, is Nothing Bad Can Happen. Oh, yeah. Love this movie. Another Draft House. we got two, two Draft Houses draft on house. our list. Draft House and A24. A24, yeah. These, the, just, that's my top ten. Okay. It's just those two. <laughs> just whatever, they, whatever the fuck they're putting out. Just They have been killing it yeah. recently. And then Draft House just got the tribe. They did, yeah. Oh, come on. Now. Very excited for that one, too. So. I like their their eclectic mix they got going on. You just never know what the hell they're going to pick up. I like it. And I love that. That's yeah, what I love it's, about it's them. It's a lot of fun. They're like, 
they don't they don't conform to like specific parameters. They just they look at a movie and they're like, you know what? There's something about that movie that I like. There's something different about that movie. We're gonna put it out there for the world. And I think that nothing bad can happen is a great example of that. It's a movie that I don't think many other distributors would touch. No. And it's it's great. It's uh, when did it come? It came out like last week. It yeah. came out recently. Yeah, I think it was last week or the week before. Just, you wrote a review for it. You yeah. gave it like a nine, right? Yeah, this is actually one of my favorite films of the year so far. It's actually just to take it a step further. My number two is nothing bad can happen. Yeah, because this is just, and I mean, this is a debut feature too. This is the first time this sucker is just unbelievable, and the performance from Julius Feldmeyer as the as Tor, the member of the mm-hmm. Jesus Freaks, the the central character. He just gives probably as of right now, it's my performance of the year. Yeah, he no, is one, no one touches fantastic him. No one touches it. him, and it's like for him too. He's a relative newcomer. I think he only has like two other credits. Like small bit rolls, it's just good stuff. Can't can't recommend it enough. That chicken scene, oof! Oh goodness, <laughs> good uh, lord! Another tough movie to get through. That's my number two is Blue Ruin. Ooh, loved this movie. It's kind of a, a perfect revenge thriller for me. Uh, Macon Blair was excellent in it. Again, the special effects are out of control. Everything looks so real and yeah, visceral. And yeah, they do. It's, it's a quiet movie. It's an understated movie. But when, when the violence hits, it is, it is hard. Definitely. I would uh, I just... That one was skirting for me. It was just... I, I loved it. Number two. I, I, oh, wait, no, I, number I, two was... I already gave you my number two. Come on. I know, I know. All right, what's your number one? What do you think my number one is? I would hope it's The Raid 2. You're goddamn right it is. <laughs> yeah, that's my number one as well. As well. Uh, the Raid 2 is just the best action movie I've ever seen. It's ridiculous. And it is just, just an amazing movie that everyone... It's not that everyone should see it. It's everyone should have to see it. It should be a requirement. They need to start showing the raid two in in schools. You there know, should, just there should be classes. There should be whole classes instead of like Ken Burns Gettysburg. Fuck that shit. You just you should just watch the raid two. Yeah, exactly. Or Bill Nye the Science Guy. Just get rid of that. No, 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 no. I don't know if you get rid of Bill Nye the Science Guy. <laughs> you get a little out of hand here. The the Ken Burns stuff. Yes, I see that, but. I I'm okay with keeping the, the Bill Nye stuff. Okay. Yeah, you should yeah. you should have to watch the raid too. Really anywhere for anything. Like if you go to get your license, you should have to watch the raid too. Uh, if you go to get a marriage license, you should have to watch raid too. Yeah. If you're taking the test to become a citizen of any country, you should have to watch the raid too. If you're trying to get Just a passport, pretty much any for any reason yeah, whatsoever, pretty you should much. be required to watch the raid too. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I actually had a friend from work who watched it recently, and watched. By watched, I mean he stared at his phone until it was the fight sequences because he refuses to watch subtitles because he's a terrible person. And he was like, he watched it on his phone. No, 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 no. Just when it was the oh, non, oh no, I see, I see what you're saying. Non yes. the non fight sequences. You. He was facing the phone, and then anytime he sound, it sounded like it was ramping up to a fight. Then he would put the phone down. 
because he can't be bothered to read subtitles, which obviously makes him a terrible person. Well, but I will he, say, he, go ahead. He was, I asked him, I was like, you know, what did you think? It blew your mind away, right? He was like, yeah, it was pretty good. That was it. <laughs> that was it. Hmm. I just, I, I'm still, I'm still not sure what I want to do with that whole relationship. I don't, yeah, I don't, that I might just, be a deal breaker. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I'm still thinking about it, still pulling it over. I have a couple friends who haven't seen the Raid 1 or the Raid 2, and I've been trying to get them to watch it. So one of them is my cousin, who is a martial artist, and I've been trying to get him to watch the Raid and the Raid 2, and he hasn't seen either of them yet. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing? (laughs) You need to do this. He's seen like every martial arts film there is. I know. Yeah, and he's never seen them. I think the problem is that neither of them are on Netflix Instant. And that's just... It's holding them It's back. like, oh, if it's not on Netflix Instant, that's it. When, uh, I will say that the, the the Blu-ray that's coming out on Tuesday does have the dubbed version on it. Fuck that. Well, yeah, but for your, for your friend that doesn't... No, he doesn't, de- he doesn't deserve to see it then. If okay. he's going to watch the dubbed version, he might as well just kill himself. Just stop. Yeah. Stop okay. it. I mean, it's ridiculous dubbed versions i well i agree completely but disgusting for, i threw up a little bit in my mouth when you unfortunately said there are people that refuse to read subtitles well, they don't deserve movies then mm, yeah okay honestly they don't sorry put my foot but, down. i mean i do put think that they down. should if you don't make a dubbed version it'll force them to to read the subtitles but exactly at the same time some people won't buy it because of that so I understand why putting a dubbed I, version on there. I kind of understand was, it too, but at the same time, I don't think because it did you be. did you hear that? Uh, I saw on um, Twitter that Gareth Evans said that there was a he didn't name the country, but he said that there was an entire territory where they didn't release the raid two because it was already available to download because it got pirated. Oh really? Yeah. Wow. And it's like that right there. It should be the example people use to say don't pirate movies because yeah. it people think that that doesn't affect anything, but it, it really does. I mean, there's an entire territory that can't see the raid two now because of that. Yeah. Wow. So, at any rate, <clears throat> see the raid two on Tuesday. Get it on Blu-ray. I think it's available to stream right now. Yeah. You, you can get it on VOD. Get it and then just watch it every day. There you go. That's I, that's I wish I could do that. Um, just quickly, some ones that almost made it to my list. Uh, we are the best, which that was a fun one. Came very close, but not not quite. I recommend checking out the Mule, which is not out yet. I don't even know. I don't that's know fun. when that's coming out. I think it did get picked up, but I'm not sure by who. That's the one with Angus Sampson and Lee Wanell. Yeah, crazy movie. Very fun, very <clears throat> weird. I think you'll like that one. The Infinite Man, which is a low-budget Australian science fiction movie about time travel. I think you'll also like this one because it's... You You have definitely piqued my interest. Yeah, it's very Primer-esque, Coherence-esque. We're dealing with doppelgangers of, of a sort. Of a sort. Okay. Well, it's more like you're dealing with yourself from another time. Okay. It's kind of a love story also, but it's it's not um it's not like a romantic comedy. It's 
it's darker than that, but it's very funny. Really enjoyed this one. This is probably one of the best movies I saw at South by this year. Yeah. I didn't see a lot of good stuff at South by. Oh, but this was really good. Uh, Grand Budapest Hotel. I, it seems odd that a that a Wes Anderson movie wouldn't make it to my top ten, and it, it may creep up there. I do want to rewatch don't, this. Don't force it. Don't force it. Well, Wes Anderson movies typically get better on rewatches, so yeah, I want to rewatch it. Right. And uh, also, Obvious Child, the Jenny Slate I want to comedy. see that movie. Very good. Very good. Oh, I want to see it. I guess I can hit you with a couple of... Uh, yeah, just do it. Just do, throw them out there. I'm going to throw them out there. These are a couple of ones that I guess just came out this year, finally. Like The Retrieval, the Chris Esco movie. Oh, yeah. So that one was skirting. Uh, 12 O'Clock Boys was skirting. Oh, yeah. These... Uh, it's, it's always difficult with these. Yeah, qu- quickly, I should mention that these the movies on my list are all movies I saw this year. So not ones that we saw last year that got released this year or movies that haven't been released. These are just straight up movies I saw this year. Our final top tens will probably be movies that actually came out yeah. in 2014. But And like I said before, Blue Room, that was skirting. That was skirting. Godzilla was skirting a little bit. Oh. Godzilla, I, that was a shit ton of fun for me. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know what everyone's bitching about. Well, I think generally people are liking it. Yeah. I just... I think the people have, you know, some issues. Well, they should. It's a giant freaking lizard. <laughs> what what more do you want? So, yeah, those, those are my honorable mentions. All right. There you have it. Uh, stay tuned at the end of the year, and we'll we'll see how, how drastically these lists have changed. All right. Let's go ahead and jump into some predictions. Last week we said Tammy. You said 38. I said 36. Actual 27. earth to echo you said 56 i said 52 actual 51 damn it and deliver us from evil you said 70 i said 65 actual 32 wow you get killed on these predictions both in (laughs) movies and soccer (laughs) thanks for uh reminding me there oh just making sure you know dick uh, next week we have Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. What are you thinking on this one? I think it's kind of a ridiculous name for a movie. Well, I think it's interesting that the first one was Rise of the Planet of the Apes, and then the second one is Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. It seems like it should be reversed to me. It, it seems like it'd make more sense, but whatever. <sighs> Who are you? Uh, Dawn, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Ooh, I'm going to say 80. Two. Uh, I'm gonna say I'll just say eighty. Shit, eighty-two is good. That's a good score. I'll say eight. I'll say eighty-one. And we also have in limited release, but I think we're gonna we're gonna rate this one because it's a it's a, gonna be a big one. That's Richard Linklater's Boyhood. This comes out on video on demand and select cities. I think it currently has a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh I'm going to say, I'll say 96 on this one. I'm going to say a 90, 96 is good. I'm going to say 94. I can't, I can't wait for this to just play and I can stop hearing about it. You're probably going to hate it. This is, this will be one. This, if there's going to be be one, if there's going to be one this year that we have a, that we 
have a, a conflict over it may be boyhood. Although, well, we'll, we'll have to get to it. Let's I think we'll probably be reviewing this next week anyway. Yeah. Also in limited release, we have Rage, which is a Nicolas Cage movie that I don't really know anything about. A Long Way Down, Land Ho. I want to see that. I want to see that as well. Affluenza, which looks, uh, looks pretty bad. And Made in America. I think that's the Jay-Z Ron Howard documentary. One of the weirdest sentences I've ever I know. <laughs> uh, next week on Video On Demand, we have Boyhood, Ironclad, Battle for Blood. Ooh. The, the Battered Bastards of Baseball, okay. which is premiering on Netflix. Very excited for that. I don't know why, but I'm, I'm really excited for that. Because you, you, I, you're a big-time baseball guy. That's why. I used to be. I used to be a huge baseball fan, and uh, I tend to like movies about the history of baseball. I just love it. So, yes, I'm very excited for that. And Affluenza also comes out. Next week on DVD and Blu-ray, we have Bad Words. Skip it. Don Peyote, skip it. Jodorowsky's Dune, definitely recommend. Okay. Check that out. Kid Cannabis, I haven't seen it, so I don't know. Nymphomaniac, cool. I'd check that out if you haven't yet. I'm wondering how they're going to do because I know that Volume 1 and Volume 2 are together in the Blu-ray, but I'm wondering if they just have it all together as like one seamless yeah, like, instead movie. Of cutting it. Yeah. Hopefully that's the way it is. The Raid 2. Big one. Uh, there's a Steelbook edition oh. that's coming out of that. The artwork looks awesome are, are you, on the Steelbook. Are you kidding me? Yeah, are you, you should check me? that out. And also Stage Fright, which is one that I checked out at South By and actually liked, despite being a horror musical. <laughs> I hate I hate musicals, and I think horror musicals are even a worse idea, but that was pretty good. <laughs> All right, I think that that will wrap it up. Send us your questions to podcast at filmpulse.net. We'll be sure to answer them on the show. Follow us on Twitter at filmpulse.net and at filmpulsekevin. And be sure to rate us on iTunes. We appreciate that very much. For filmpulse.net, my name's Adam. And I'm Kevin. And we'll see you on Thursday for Ryan Watches a Movie. Right now, lick it good. Suck this pussy just like you should. My neck, my back, lick my pussy.